Welcome to the Loan with Jen podcast, your weekly source to keep you informed on everything about financing your home, where you will hear real facts, no BS. I'm your host, Jennifer Hernandez, a loan officer since 1995, and over 4,300 families financed to date. If you're starting to think about buying or refinancing a home, wonder if you have the right credit, savings, or even income, you're in the right place. On my weekly episodes, I make complicated topics easy to understand. By the way, my license is NMLS 514497. The ideas expressed here are my own opinions and don't represent any legal advice. Thanks for joining. Let's jump in. All right. Tactics to stand out in a multiple offer. Super excited. It's a very hot topic. I'm going to go over five to six things that you can do in order to stand out. So the first thing that I think is really important that I want to go over when you're making an offer, whoever your realtor and your lender are, please make sure that they are connected. One of the tips that I have prepared for you is talking how I personally call on every listing offer that my clients make, every single one, as long as the realtor and the buyer are letting me know that they're making an offer, which usually they do. It's really important that the buyer, the lender and the realtor are super connected. So make sure and introduce them early. The next thing, make sure that the pre-approval letter is dated, I'd say within 10 to 15 days of your offer. We do a lot of day of property specific. If you're doing a TBD to be determined address, which is I think is okay, just make sure that it's dated recently. Interest rates have been changing. Clients that we pre-approved even two months ago, the interest rate is different, unfortunately, than when we did a letter a couple months ago. So those listing agents, a good one, will know like, hey, this rate that's on your letter is way lower than the market. So that does make a difference that everything is super tight on that letter. So again, if you're a buyer or a realtor, make sure that you know how to reach that lender after hours. And not all lenders work after hours. I do, but I'm one lender, right? So whoever the lender is, call them on a Friday. How can I reach you on a Saturday, if I need a letter, because I go to this open house and I need to see, you know, XYZ property. So make sure you think about that. And again, we call the listing agent on every offer. Make sure that you've got all the balls in your court to be ready to do that and move fast. I mean, you're going to hear through this, you're going to get the gist that the market still is moving. There's still multiple offers on properties. It's lightened up a little bit, but instead of 10 multiple offers, maybe there's two or three, but there's still two or three that's still people that you're competing up against. Super, super important about that. But just to let you know the nuggets up front, title policy, and again, this is tailored towards Texas. So if someone's watching this and you're not in Texas, you'll have to decide if this pertains to you or not. In Texas, it's optional if the seller or the buyer pays it. It's, it's a negotiable item. So we are seeing buyer in many, many cases, that's a sweetening point. So I'll go deeper into that. Increased option fee or shorter days or no option. We've seen some contracts that have no option. Earnest money goes hard right away. 
no financing contingency. I'll go through, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean no financing contingency? I'm getting a loan. What does that mean? Increased artist money. 1% is the standard in a normal market. We've seen 2 3% earnest money happening. Waiving the appraisal. It's not waiving the appraisal like I'm not going to get an appraisal because a lender won't allow that. It's waiving your right to terminate because of the appraisal. So I'll educate you about that, what that means. Free lease back. I just had one this morning, actually. He's a single guy, so he's super flexible, doesn't have kids to worry about or all that. He's very flexible on time. And the seller is building a house. And so he's totally able to be flexible with them and say, yeah, I don't need to move in right away. Like, no big deal. So that might get him the offer. I mean, he, that's going to help him stand out because he's flexible and he probably won't charge them to lease back. So we've seen that happen as well quite a bit when people are really flexible about the move-in date. Now, I have a special poll. So the first one in the last one month, what is the most multiple offers you've experienced? I just want the last 30 days. I want to know the pulse of the market. And then number two, in your experience, what has worked the most in multiple offers? So there's some choices here. It's choosing one. So the first one in the last one month, what's the most multiple offers that you've experienced? Majority was one to five. There's two people, 20% said 10 plus. So that's interesting. And then the things that have worked the most, appraisal waiver and higher price won the lead. Earnest money didn't have any. That was interesting. Lender calling a little bit. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. But mostly appraisal waiver and the higher price. Done with the poll. Let's go deeper into some of the tactics. Title policy as the first one. I'm seeing kind of a mix. Honestly, I'm seeing kind of 50-50 on the seller versus buyer paying. So I wanted to educate you. How much are you paying anyway? Like what is this miscellaneous fee? First of all, it's on page three, paragraph six on the contract. And right there in the first paragraph, it says who's going to pay. So that box is checked at the time that you, the buyer, make your offer. Now, how much is the title policy anyway? It's approximately 0.6% of the sales price. But if you really want to get the nitty gritty formula, so the first 100000 is $832. And then why don't you take your calculator out with me on your phone and we're going to go through one. We're going to do a little participation. I want you to actually calculate. So we're going to say it's under a million. So when it's under a million, you take the price. So let's say 400000 and you subtract. In column two, it says to subtract 100000 Well, obviously, we know that's 300000 You multiply it times 0. 0.00527. So times 0. 0.00527. And that's $1,581. And then you add that first $100,000 to it of $832, that first premium, so $832. So that's $2,413. Now, if I divide that into the sales price, it's about 60%. See? So if you want to kind of shortcut it, you could take the price of $550,000 and just times it by 0.6%. And that's going to give you a shortcut amount. I wanted to take you through the long way because I wanted you to know both ways of how it's done. 
But all of this is found on the TDI, the Texas Department of Insurance website. So you could just Google Texas Department of Insurance. That's how you calculate the title policy. So that's what you as a buyer would be paying or a seller. That's what a seller would be paying if they're paying the title policy for either party. So just so you know what you're giving up or what you're paying. Now, the next thing I'll address is option fee. So this is on page two of 11 of the contract, section five, and it talks about termination option. We have seen options completely waived, meaning I have no option fee. I immediately go to earnest money and that's it. We're not seeing more than seven days really in Houston and surrounding areas. And increasing the option fee, what listing agents have told me, because I'll ask them when they accept our contract, I take a little survey when I call them and say, hey, I'm the lender, blah, blah, blah. And I say, I'm just curious, like what helped you accept this offer? And there are times where they'll say, yeah, just increased skin in the game, option fee. Like that was really important to us because there are buyers out there making multiple contracts at one time. I mean, we've even had it. We've got clients that make two or three offers because they don't know which one they're going to get, right? Sellers, listing agents know that. Showing that you have skin in the game on an offer, like, hey, 5,000 option fee. I've seen some pretty hefty option fees out there if these clients really want the house. So we have seen that. That is a way that you could do that. And then that section B, the termination option is that number of days, zero days, five days, whatever it is. We've seen that as well. All right, financing. So this is where I come in. Financing is an interesting thing. Personally, we pre-underwrite everything. I push a lot of loans through my team. I have a personal guy on my team for 19 years. He's an underwriter pretty much. We don't do any letters without him pre-auditing it. He catches everything. But I'm only, again, one lender that does that. So we get all the documents and tell clients if they are very squeaky clean, W-2, everything's been checked out. You are a candidate to waive the financing, meaning you're getting a loan, but you're waiving the right to terminate because you don't get approved. Like you're going to get approved. You're not going to not get approved. So talk to your lender about that if you're a candidate. And that would mean that in paragraph two, it says approval of financing in yellow. And then it continues on the right that says this contract is not subject to buyer obtaining buyer approval. So do not check that box unless you and your realtor talk to the lender to know what that means. So I go through with the client and I say, hey, I just want you to know what this means. Like, do you feel secure about your job? Because if they lose their job, I mean, that's something that definitely is going to throw that out of the water, right? I can tell you that nothing is 100% until the day that that loan funds. Anything can happen. We've had people get sick. I had a client the day of closing had a heart attack and she did survive, but she had a medical event. Like she had to pull out and she lost her earnest money. I mean, things happen. So I just make sure with the clients that they understand what that means. And I want the realtor, be great if you can all get on a conference call to talk together and know what the pluses and minuses of that are so the clients can decide that that's for them. So if you've submitted all your documents to the lender and they've super, super looked at them, then it shouldn't be an issue. And then I'm going to just pause for a second. What is the benefit of putting more money down at closing for these tactics, like more earnest money, option, waiving appraisal and all that? 
Why is it attractive to the sellers? They're getting the same amount out of the sales price at closing, right? Yes, they are getting the same price. However, it's all about what's going to go through to the end. So there are probably about a hundred things that could go wrong during a transaction. Not all of them have to do with the buyer. There's seller, there's title company, title issues that might happen, chain of title. But with the loan as well and the client being able to perform, it increases the skin in the game. And so being attractive to the seller, I can tell you that clients can look great on paper and say, oh, I'm putting this large down payment. I'm offering you XYZ, you know, I'm offering you 500,000 and I'm putting a ton of money down. That doesn't mean that your loan might not go through. I've had clients that put a lot of money down and they are not easy to approve. So the seller doesn't know that, nor will they. They would never know the inner workings of all of those things, but they care about getting to the finish line. And so the more confident that the buyer is that they're going to get to the finish line, putting more skin in the game on the front is more attractive to the seller because they know that they're less likely to pull out because of repair negotiation or inspections. That's what option is about. It gives the buyer an opportunity to inspect the property, et cetera. Regarding option, I've had a listing agent literally tell me this, multiple listing agents. They said, I'm sick of investors or anybody really coming in with the highest price and then they get the inspection and they give us this huge bill to come down on repairs. He said, I'm sick of it. So there are offers that at first glance are the highest price. And then they'll come in during that option period on the seventh day or whatever and say, oh, hey, by the way, we want 20000 for repairs. That's what the seller doesn't want in a seller's market. When there's multiple offers, they want to take the offer that is the most likely to get to the finish line for several reasons. An option is one of them, knowing that they're not going to be blindsided by some big, huge repair negotiation that's going to cost them money is the bottom line. And so earnest money, again, it just goes to the client's skin in the game. Like, hey, we're super committed to this house and we're putting our money on the line. The higher the earnest money, the higher, the more skin in the game the buyer has, the less likely they are to to pull out or not perform on the contract is what all that means. One thing I do have here on financing contingency, I will never okay this for a self-employed borrower. I don't want to say never. I just want to say it's rare because there's a lot of moving targets. You know, there's things that within 30 days of closing, we still have to get like updated business bank statements to make sure that they're still depositing money and a letter from their CPA within 30 days of closing that like their business is still viable. And so it's not impossible to do if you're self-employed. It's just more things that could go differently than we thought in that financing period. So just really talk to your lender about that and just make sure that that's the right option for you. So earnest money, it is on section five additional with that option period. It's in that same section. So again, you're saying to the seller, hey, in good faith, this is my deposit on this house that I'm going to perform on all these parts of this contract. And mainly financing is the main one. So we do usually kind of a 14 days or some lenders and back to the financing contingency. I do actually need to go back to this. As a realtor, you do need to ask the lender to make sure like, hey, 
if I put 12 days on here, like, is that cool? And, you know, how many days do you need? So 14-ish is kind of what we're seeing. I'm seeing some 21, but usually kind of 14, 15 is what I'm seeing and that I'm okay with, but I don't know what other lenders are doing. Okay, earnest money, section five. If you're not approved for the loan or if you pull out at the last minute for just some extreme reason, there's things that you can't control. I mean, there's sickness that happens and there's things, but if you're past that, financing period of 15 days or 21 days or whatever it is, your earnest money is at risk, meaning you would lose that essentially if you didn't comply with the terms of the contract. So make sure you discuss that with your realtor, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and know what's at risk. So especially if you're doubling down and doing, I'm seeing 1%, 20% of the time I'm seeing 2% earnest money. So in the Houston market, in our guys in Austin, my Austin office, they're 3% earnest money easily. That's just crazy, crazy. I don't even want to go there. Put that in anybody's head, (laughs) by the way. Okay, appraisal. This form is probably the most misunderstood. And that's why I'd really want to educate y'all on it. The realtors do a great job as best they can. But this is the typical call that I get. The buyer didn't realize that the house of their dreams was going to come on the market. They're not pre-approved yet. I get called on the weekend, which is fine, but they need all this magic to happen in a letter. So before or after the open house, or I'm sure the realtors on the call are smiling like, yep, that's my life. And that's all fine, but it's happening very fast. So all these things are flying and the realtors are probably like, yeah, 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 we need to do this appraisal. And the buyers are like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I don't even know what this means. That's what I'm saying. This is a hard form to understand, but it really is very simple. So... First, I want to say in the contract on page two of the finances, this is just in a normal contract that you're signing. In part B, it says that the buyer up until three days prior to the closing date. So if you're closing June 23rd, basically on the 19th, I think it's the 19th, you would be able to pull out of the contract because the appraisal came in low. Let's say the appraisal came in 20,000 low. You could decide that you're like, "Uh uh-uh, not buying that house and pull out and you would get your earnest money back. So for a seller, that's bad because they don't want to be blindsided three days before closing. When they've got these multiple offers and multiple people that want to buy their house, they want the one that's going to give them the least headache. That's what this form is for. So actually, it's interesting because this form came out in 2018 and it's not until 2020 when COVID happened, that we even needed it. Like when this form first came out, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I would see some people use it, but not really because we weren't really in a hot seller's market like we are now. But now this form is used very often. Basically what this says, people call it an appraisal waiver. That's not what this is. We are not waiving the appraisal. If you're getting a loan, you have to get an appraisal, period. Unless... We run it through our automated system. And because of a huge down payment, we might waive the need for it. But that's different than this. What this says is I'm waiving my right in that first where I highlighted in yellow the waiver. It says buyer waives right to terminate the contract under paragraph 2B of the third party financing addendum, which means you're waiving your right to terminate three days before, which basically if you check box number one, 
you're basically telling the seller, no matter what the appraised value comes in at, I'm buying your property or I'm losing my earnest money if I don't. So that earlier question that Stacy asked was, why does a seller even care? Well, it's about performance, about getting to the finish line, right? So they don't want to be a week before closing. The appraisal comes in. The appraisal says the house is worth $450 and your offer was $480, $30,000 spread. They want to know that you're going to likely perform on this no matter what. Otherwise, you're going to lose your earnest money. That's why earnest money is so important because they know you have skin in the game and you're less likely to back out. So the full waiver. Section one means pretty much you're telling them I'm in it to win it. And there are agents, a very good listing agent will ask for proof of funds for that difference. So if you're offering 30K above the list price, they might want to see that you have the 30K or they'll usually for me anyway, they take a verbal confirmation, but they might ask for proof of funds of that. So be prepared. You might have to fork over a bank statement or something. Now, if you do a partial What the partial waiver means is you're okay with waiving the right to terminate, but down to a certain amount. So let's use the example of the 450 again. Let's say this house was listed at 450 and your realtor ran the comparables and 450-ish is kind of right where the current sales are pointing. Like I'm offering 480 and I know that I'm offering over, but I want to protect myself for some weird fluke that some sales not going to come in and I'm going to get caught with my hair down <laughs> and it comes in at 430. Like 450 is what they listed it at. But what if it comes in at 430? Like, and there's a $50,000 spread. So this creates a floor. Like, let's say you say, hey, I'll do a partial waiver down to 450 or 440 or you'll come up with that number. But basically it's not a full-blown waiver. It's just saying, hey, within reason, Like I'm willing to go down to this amount. We see a lot of partials as well, if they're within reason. Now, the partial needs to be around the price probably. We're not seeing many that are above or sometimes they're a little bit below, but that's something you can talk with about with your realtor and based on what comps are coming in and at. So that's where the realtor really is super important. Like if you're a buyer and you're trying to buy, even sell a house right now without a realtor, That's just super nuts. Like I would not advise it. There's so much that goes on that the realtors know how to navigate these things. So I'm a super realtor proponent because I've seen what happens when people don't use a realtor. I mean, I've done loans for people that don't use realtors before, but they definitely earn their key. They are so, so crucial in all of this. As you can see, there's so many moving parts. Give a hug to your realtor next time you see them because they're working hard. That's for sure. Now, number three on here, additional right to terminate. Usually I see this when they don't want to do any of the above. They want it to come in for what they're offering usually, but you can write in an amount there, but they're doing it a number of days. So this is where they'll say to me, Jen, we don't want to be exposed for a super long time. Can you get an appraisal quick? And I'll say yes, no, maybe, or for an extra rush fee, whatever it is. I'll say, yeah, yeah, we can get it within 14 days. They'll put a number of days on here so that it gives the seller the confidence of knowing we're not going to drag this out and get an appraisal 20 days from now. So it puts a timeline on the appraisal so that everybody can know what's what. 
and have a chance to either back out, move forward, pay extra, whatever it's going to happen. And then they'll put the amount there that they're willing to go to. So it puts a number of days on it on the additional right to terminate on paragraph three. All right. Seller's temporary residential lease. This is just an additional document that you would do only if you're going to lease back. So this is something that some people don't feel comfortable with it and that's okay. And some people are like, yeah, 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 whatever. I want your house. So we're seeing more of these. Now, I do want to mention something very important. If you're getting a loan, the lender will freak out and will not approve the loan for the final approval if it's more than a 60-day lease back. The reason is because when it's a primary residence, when it's a primary purchase, which I'm assuming that it is, if it's investment, it's a little different. But on the deed of trust, on the legal document that you sign at closing with the note, it says that this will be your primary residence and that you intend to occupy as your primary within 60 days. So if you don't do that, you know, if there's a lease back for 90 days, well, then you can't move in within 60 days, right? So that triggers that it's an investment property, which means more down payment, higher rate, and a couple other repercussions. So it's an occupancy affidavit issue. So make sure if check with the lender and just don't do more than 60-day leasebacks. So you got to come up with something else. Maybe it closes later so that the 60 days, like if they need 90, maybe you close a little bit later. I don't know. There's some other things that can happen, but just be aware of that. Now, I read somewhere actually in like the Texas Association of Realtors, I get their magazine, that actually that's a major issue. I don't want to say it's an ethical issue. It's kind of like encourages redlining, like it gives a partial bias against one borrower over another. And so it's really not encouraged. Oh, it's a discrimination issue. That's it. It's against the fair housing rule. Thank you very much, Iris. I appreciate that. I knew there was a word for it. It wasn't coming to me. It is against fair housing. So I know that some buyers really want to do that but it's not advisable because again, fair housing rule and you don't want to get in any kind of trouble for sure. I can tell you the investors are mostly about price, but not always. In fact, a lot of investors actually use me as a red light, green light. They won't accept an offer unless the clients do a second look with me, even though I don't have to do their loan, but they're like, we trust you, Jen. We know For them, the financing, especially because the investors usually deal with the lower price ranges, usually like 300 and below, financing for them is super, super important. So if you know that it's an investor, you definitely got to make sure that lender's calling, that the letter is super tight and possibly the waiving of the financing contingency would actually be super big for them. Oh, regarding the fair housing rules. So thank you, Sandy. It says... On the love letter that we talked about, this is actually an important nugget. She says, it depends on how it is written. Beautiful home, well-maintained. Sellers did a great job maintaining their home, et cetera, is a letter that's, you know, not disclosing like number of children and you have a dog and blah, 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 blah. So something that's maybe generic like that, just talking about their desire for the home. It sounds like from what she's saying, not giving it any nuggets about who they are or what kind of family they are, because that could increase discriminatory bias one way or the other against somebody. You would run into trouble if like, hey, I'm a single mom, would love to live in a diverse area, blah, blah, blah. That's where things get dicey. That's what she said as an addition. Thanks for those nuggets just to help train everybody on what not to do. 
All right, I have a checklist. So I will be sending this. Just pop me an email and say, winning off for checklist. So I have a link to a Google Doc that is something that you could print out and use it with your realtor on every offer that you make. Just use it as a checklist. What am I willing or not willing to do? I know it takes a little effort and it's a little old school, but it's a good talking point to go over with your realtor for sure. The other thing I have, visit Loan with Gen Education slash events. Always have my calendar posted there. And then if you receive value today, please refer us somebody. We'd love you to. You can just pop me an email. I'm just super passionate about education and bringing education to people. And honestly, I tell buyers, hey, you were referred, you know, by Bob. He's a great referral source for us. And we want to give him honor by giving you the very best education so you can make the right decision for you. If that's with us, that's great. If not, you get a free education out of it. Like I just want to get people the right information, which was the catalyst for the YouTube channel. Again, Loan with Jen. So please check that out. And my team and I, we are here to serve. Well, this concludes everything for today and look forward to seeing you on... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Loan with Jen podcast. Keep joining me each week to stay up to date on the mortgage industry as I'll dive into relevant topics so your home financing process, whether you're buying or refinancing, is smooth and simple. If you enjoyed today, please click follow and that way you'll never miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to Loan with Jen on any of the social media handles, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in this week for Real Facts, No BS. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.